welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place for you to experience a grace that heals. We're glad you're here because we're excited about how grace can transform your life and your relationships. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. We are so glad you're with us. And today we are going to be looking at the subject of what is performance-based religion? I know it's a term we've thrown around, so glad you're with us. Hope this is something that helps your life and your love flourish in Jesus. I'm Joel. And I'm Lynn. And I'm glad to talk about this today because performance-based religion is very different from grace. So, let's start out by each of us giving kind of what we would define maybe in just one or two sentences performance-based religion. And... I guess I'll go first, since I'm the one saying we're going to do it. Give okay. me more time, to, more time to think, <laughs> or else I get the easy because I get to be the first one. So anyway, so for me, performance-based religion is a religion that this doesn't matter the group, it doesn't matter the denomination, it doesn't matter, but the idea is for you to be right with God, there are certain standards of behavior, there are certain actions. There are things you must do and you must perform them well to be acceptable to God, to have his favor. And when you fail to perform up to expectation, you actually run the risk of not having a relationship with God, either by default or he cuts you off, he walks away, he can't deal with you. So that's, in just a couple of sentences, that's kind of mine. So, how do you look at, understand performance-based religion? Four days ago, I sat in a living room with a young woman, about 21 perhaps, that was telling me this, I want to please God. I want to know how to please God. So I need to know what the standards are. I need to know what the rules are. I need to know what it is I have to do in order to please God. God, the idea of grace was just too nebulous for her, right? Yes. Of course, she had uh, comes from a family that's actually from Eastern Europe, where okay. there's a lot of Eastern Orthodoxy, right? And so, the way you please God in Eastern Orthodoxy, right, is there yes. are certain candles you light, they wear something over your head, there, yep. there you go are confess to the priest. certain ways. Yep that that needs to be done. Let me um, go to my profession for a minute. Let's okay. look in, in psychology. One area of psychology is behaviorism. Okay. Behaviorism began with B.F. Skinner. I've heard the name. And <laughs> Beginning psychology <laughs> intro, yes. This performance-based religion is something that Skinner would call rule-bound. It means okay. that you have to have all these rules and you have to stay within these rules, okay? So that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about in performance-based religion. And particularly when, relig when we're talking about religion, you're doing these rules in order to feel like it's going to make you right with God. Yes. You need to do these to measure up. 
You need to do these to be worthy, to be acceptable, and a failure to do them makes you um, unworthy, makes you unacceptable. Right. So... One of the things I asked this girl was, why do you want to know the rules? Is it only because you want to please God, or is it because you want to see yourself and know where you stand compared to where other people stand, right? And what if you were doing really well and your neighbor wasn't doing really well? What does that make you think? And how then do you think about your neighbor? And is that a good thing? Yeah. So what did she say? I mean, that's a great question when you're talking about rules and performance and well, I just said to her point blank, can you see how that would make you feel prideful to think yes. that somehow you were measuring and you're here and they're here. How is that a good thing right. with God? And what does that person standing have to do with your relationship with God? Right. If it's all a relative comparison. So... And I think we may have touched on this before in a different episode, but when you're working within a performance-based religion paradigm, when you're doing really well, then you're often arrogant, proud, judgmental, condescending, looking down on on other people, which really isn't a super great place to be. Even if you don't recognize it, or you don't feel like you're being that way, you're likely perceived that way by yes. other people. If you would ask the people closest to you, and if you're not doing well, then it's devastating. I mean, then there's depression, there's frustration, there's pressure on yourself and maybe from other people mm. to up your game, to try harder, work harder, go at it better, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, you can do this. And if, and if you're not pulling it off, that's a really hard place to be as well. Let's talk about the result of not doing well at performance-based religion. We are absolutely going to do that. But I want to pause our conversation here for 15 seconds to invite you to share your thoughts and comments with Lynn and myself. You can email us directly using the contact form on our podcast website. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com, and from there you can write to Lynn or myself directly. We love hearing from our listeners, and we take time to read your comments and questions. We'll give our contact info again at the end of the episode. Now, back to Lynn and her comments on performance-based religion. Okay, before we do that, um, is there any scripture that deals with this whole idea of performing and religion and rules. Mm. There are actually several places in scripture that talk about a Hebrews of a Hebrew of Hebrews. But oh, the Apostle Paul, yes. But we love Colossians 2. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Colossians 2. Um, because the Apostle Paul, in writing to this church in his letter, it, for us, it's the second chapter. We'll put the exact verses in the show notes. I just want to grab some of what he says in this letter to these people, what he writes. But just a minute, Joel. Why do you think he had to write to these people? <laughs> because living performance-based religion 
is universal. It's so our he default. came in and taught them grace. He came in and taught them grace. And someone came behind him or they decided that they had to perform. Right. right. And I mean, every, I think I can say this, um, maybe we'll get some pushback on this, but I think every religion in the world, except for biblical Christianity, mm. except for a faith that's based solely on grace, is performance-based religion. It tells you what you need to do in order to get closer to God or to progress. Right. right. And so at some level, to some degree, it is your responsibility to perform. And so, I mean, if that's the case, then it would make sense that every other religion around these people that they'd experienced until the gospel was presented to them was all performance-based living. That's how they had been living their lives. Well, certainly when they went into the idols' temples, right, there were certain things they wanted to do in order to get oh, an answer to prayer. Yes, or, sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's all that. So this is um, kind of how, this is how the Apostle Paul puts it. Um, this is Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to start with verse 13 because he does a really important juxtaposition. He contrasts who they were before and who they are now as kind of his argument for why they shouldn't be living performance-based religion. So verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Referring to Jesus, we know that from previous verses. So right away he's saying, hey, before, when you were in this, you were dead. God is the one who made you alive. So right away, we have God as the primary agent of the change. He goes on to say, God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Mm. I mean, to me, that's mm. just amazing. How much of our trespasses are forgiven when we come to God and look in look in search of grace? All uh -oh. of them. And it's not a matter where when new sins come, you have to keep repenting in order to keep the all gone, right? No. all the Because he's telling them this happened. This is what God did in Christ even beforehand, before they even knew about Jesus. So... He, uh, he's forgiven us all our trespasses, past, present, and future. There are and he no did unforgivable it. ones, right? There, yes, there is no unforgivable sin. Now, mm -hmm. people will raise, Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin. But I think in the context of that, that is very clearly when you see or hear something that's clearly from the Spirit. It was Jesus doing good works. He was making it clear what he was doing. He was doing through the power of God, through the Spirit. And the Pharisees attribute that to the devil in spite mm -hmm. of what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so if a person, so what's not able to be forgiven is when you go so far as you will take what God is clearly doing and in an effort to reject God, you'll, you'll actually go so far as to attribute it to the devil. That's kind of my, mm -hmm. that's kind of Joel's, Joel's take on it. So that's not a make or break, but, but so any sin that we commit, um, is forgivable there there are you know 
If you're if you're concerned about your sin, you probably haven't committed the unpardonable sin. <laughs> um, the Pharisees weren't. So he's done that by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. All that sin that we committed, that's all on this huge ledger of our sin. That's our that's our record of debt against a holy God. And the Apostle Paul saying, what happened to that ledger? And I sometimes run through an exercise with people, maybe we'll do it in one of our episodes, where I'll do kind of the sum of their sins. And I'll say, hey, do you have any idea of like how much sin you've ever really committed? And when you start doing the math on how many sins per day and how many sins per week and per year, and you add that up, it adds up really fast. Mm. And so Paul's saying, this record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, but he didn't just put it anywhere. He nailed it to the cross. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I think about it, I think, okay, on my chest, I've got my record of debt, I, my sin, my trespasses. God takes that off me and he nails it to his son. And so as it says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore all of our sins in his body. On the tree. On the tree. That we might die to sin and live, live to righteousness. So that's kind of the picture. So you've got two sets of people. You've got people who are in this state of still dead and those who have been made alive. And for those people who have been made alive, there is no sin on their ledger. That's all been put on Jesus. So let me make sure I understand this. So there's this record of debt, and it's not something that I'm having to pay back little by little so that God's grace might kick in and save me. It's something that Jesus took to the cross and when I have faith in him yes, there's Jesus, an exchange that happens, right? Yeah, all my sin and when I bring all my sin, when all my sin goes on Jesus, his perfect righteousness comes on me. Huh. Wow. So I get credit for the that's perfect righteousness. That's not a fair trade, is it, for him, but it is for us. Would you well, like and that? that's, I mean, and again, grace in one of our first sessions, I think we talked about what is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Yeah. Grace is getting what, mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. That punishment went on Jesus. Grace is getting the favor um, that you don't deserve and could never earn, which is forgiveness and eternal life and being adopted as God's child. And what's really interesting is Paul, so Paul lays this out, I mean, super clearly here in just these two or three verses. Mm-hmm. He's got the gospel, but in the very next verse, the very next verses, he says, well, in the next verse he says, not only did he take away our thing, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, those are spiritual rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them, which means mm. Satan, the devil, the demons, they no longer have any dominion over the believer. They, they no longer have any right to accuse. They don't have any right to slander because there is nothing on me that Satan gets to point a finger at. And once I accept Jesus through faith, the Holy Spirit sets up residence in me, right? Exactly. It's not running away no. if, if I mess up again. Exactly. And that's... That's what's so beautiful. On my worst day, 
I am no less an accepted, beloved child of God because it isn't about what I've done. It's about what Jesus did and gave to me as a gift. And mm. Jesus tells us, Jesus tells a story of um, a big wedding feast that somebody threw. And he invited, he invited people to come. And one of the customs of the day was when you came to a wedding feast, one of the things that the host would provide would be like a wedding garment, a wedding robe. And the idea was that everybody put this on, it equalized everybody. So if you were poor and you were in shabby clothes and you came to this wedding feast as a guest, you put on this, you put this on over whatever you had and now all of a sudden everybody's even. And it was all given by the host. And Jesus tells the story that this guy came and for whatever reason, we don't know if he was pride, maybe he just bought a new set of clothes, maybe he had a brand new cloak, but he doesn't put on the robe. He doesn't take this guest cloak that he's given. And when the host goes around and he's greeting people, he comes across this guy and he goes, where's your wedding cloak? And it just says the guy is speechless. He doesn't give an excuse. But what the host does at that point is he says, throw him out. He does not belong here. He doesn't have it. It's, it was a sign of disrespect of and, and, and he's thrown out. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. Mm. So Jesus gives us this cloak of righteousness. We put it on and, and we're good. So yeah, on my worst day, I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got the approval of God. And it's all paid for. I, this isn't something that I have to pay back. This isn't like... You know, I owed God a million dollars and I don't have the million dollars. And Jesus comes and says, well, I'll loan you the million and I'll pay it. But now you got to pay me back. Hmm. There's none of that concept in the New Testament at all. It's right. Jesus pays it. The debt's canceled. I'm in. I'm good. Um, forever. It's amazing. It is. Although then scripture describes once the spirit enters you and sets up resonance, something begins to happen to change you. And sometimes that's quite a process throughout our lives. Bible calls it sanctification, which we hopefully will do a whole discussion on I think we're that I think sometime. we're going to, yeah. Because yeah. that's the working so that's an internal change. We're transformed from the inside out. And sometimes it takes us a while to work out in real life and in actuality what's been put in us. And that is a process. And sometimes that's a slow, painful process. Sins get repeated. Um, we fall the same way more than once. Mm. But because our status as loved sons is secure, even when that happens, we get to go back to a loving father that's there waiting to accept us. We don't mm. ever have to go to a judge who's waiting to condemn and drop the hammer and tell us how disappointed or how displeased um, he is with us. There's, there's none of that for the child of God. No, in fact, my experience with the God of grace is that kind of if I don't get it the first time, he brings it, <laughs> he brings it around, around again. Yes. Know, lovingly, kindly. Patiently. Like, yes, here, here we, we go, go again. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. I keep a I keep a devotional journal and it's one of these things that repeats every year, so I don't do it every year, but I was just going through it and I was back on it. I don't remember the date. But I noticed on that date five years ago I had made a note that said, 
I really want God's help to work with this particular thing. It had brought it up. Mm. Five years later, I read it and I go, oh, no. I can't believe I am still working on this oh. thing. This is still an issue. I mean, not as bad, but... And it was just, really, it's been five years since God kind of brought that to my attention. But he's patient and he's loving and I didn't feel any condemnation. It was just like, okay, good thing he's patient with me because I've still got a ways to go on this. Um, so where I wanted to go with this mm. and where I think we're getting close to being um, end of time for this segment. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to mention it and then we're going to jump back in in the next episode to keep it going. But I at least want to let people in on where Paul is going with this. So the mm -hmm. Apostle Paul, in the very next verse, says, Therefore, therefore, since this is you now, you're not, no trespasses, no sin, you've got, you know, it's been nailed. Therefore, because this is true of you, because you're in with the Father, because you have grace, let no one mm -hmm. pass judgment on you in questions of, food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath mm -hmm. these are all shadows of things to come but the substance belongs to christ mm. so what happens in performance-based religion in performance-based religion this is what happens people get to pass judgment on you in relation to these temporal things. Mm -hmm. And very often in performance-based religions, there will be requirements to not eat certain things, not drink certain things, not do certain things. And these are not simply recommended practices. These are like absolutes. In other words, if you do this, you have disqualified yourself from from being close to God or yes. being reconciled to God, right? Right. So, um, I think that's maybe where we should pick up next time. Maybe we'll just start with that verse about passing food because he says even more later on in the same chapter. He gets really specific about, and I think if people get a chance to see how specific the Apostle Paul is writing all these years ago, um, it may send up some flags, some signal flares that say, whoa, wait a second, maybe I am, maybe I'm in a performance-based religion and I could use a little more grace. That's my hope. <laughs> um, any last thoughts you have? I was just thinking how it says in the book of Hebrews that we need to rest from our dead works. Oh, yeah. And serve the living God. Yes. So, we rest from that stuff. We don't let it define. Performance-based religion would, to me now, have dead works. Works that you can do that don't really lead to anything. Yes. Okay, well, um, hopefully you will be with us next time. We're going to pick up here look at some more of the specifics that the Apostle Paul talks about and talk more about not only performance-based religion, but I know where you wanted to go with this was, so what does this do in the life of a person? What are the fruit of performance-based religion yes. in people who are sucked into that system, who are living it? Um, I'm really interested to hear what you've got on that because I know um, you lived quite a bit 
of that yourself for quite a few years. So, but that'll have to wait till next time. So we'll encourage you to join us for the next episode of the podcast. We'll be looking at that. As always, thank you for joining us. And we're happy to hear from you anytime. God be with you. Grace be with you. Thanks for being part of this episode. See you next time. And hey, speaking of next time, here is a brief excerpt from what Lynn and I will be discussing in our episode next week. Please join us for it. But almost immediately, people came in behind the apostles and who uh, were traveling with them and preaching to people like Apollos, uh, Mark, probably, right, Timothy. Right. Mm -hmm. And they began to just um, con confuse, <laughs> twist, yeah, yeah. 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 Distort. Um, distort that gospel, right? I like that word. Yeah. Um, change what it was that they had originally taught this simple gospel. And particularly what they were doing was adding to with men's roles, which is why Paul ended up having to write these letters to the church and say, yes. no, 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 you're going off in the wrong direction. If anyone brings to you a gospel that's different than the simple gospel that we've brought to you, it literally says, let them be accursed. Yes. Right? So within 19 years of Jesus' death, um, Paul had to write the book of Galatians. For that reason, the Galatians were off doing performance-based things and needed to be brought back. And then you just read Colossians. Right. So certainly the people in Colossae were <laughs> doing the same thing. And now we have Timothy. Do you have a story of grace? Has your life been encouraged or helped in any way by what we've shared on this podcast? If so, Lynn and I would love to hear from you. The easiest way to do that is by going to our podcast website, which is unveilinggracepodcast.com. That's unveilinggracepodcast.com. Leave us your comments in our contact section and know that we would love to pray for you so that you too can experience a grace that heals.